We do appreciate uh, the presence of everyone this morning. We're glad you're here. It's good to have the opportunity to be here. Uh, think about uh, the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper as we do on each first day of the week. What a special uh, thing that is for us every week. It doesn't take long, does it? Just, just a few minutes. It's not like the entire service is dedicated to that, although that, that wouldn't be a bad thing. But just take a few minutes every Lord's Day, every first day, to think about the death of Christ and what it means to us individually, how that affects our lives, how that will affect our life in the coming week. As we confess our faith, we proclaim the Lord's death, and so we confess our faith in the power of the blood that Jesus shed on the cross and just make that commitment, make that reminder every, every first day of the week as we prepare. And so we, wanna, we wouldn't want to start a, a week without doing that, would we? And so what a great privilege that is. We're glad everyone is here today. Uh, the Richardsons are with us today. They're, they're known to many of us and have been known to us for a long time, at least a lot of us. If you don't know Brother and Sister Richardson, introduce yourself to them and uh, you'll, uh, you'll be glad that you did. And so we're glad to have them with us today. You might be like Cherry and me. Uh, around Christmas time every year, we like to watch It's a Wonderful Life at, at some point. Usually it's replayed several times during that time of year. And if you're not familiar with the movie, again, it was uh, produced originally 1946. So it's one of those old black and white movies. It has Jimmy Stewart in it. I thought about trying to impersonate Jimmy Stewart, but I thought, well, that'd, that, that'd be a flop. It's got Jimmy Stewart in it, and it's got, um, oh, uh, who's, who's the lady? I can't remember her name. Donna Reed. It has Donna Reed in it. And you know the this, this story. Jimmy Stewart, always he wants to travel. He grew up in a small town. He's got big plans, and things go awry. And so it's just a, it's just a great movie. When it first came out, It's a Wonderful Life, got mixed reviews. Some critics liked it. Some critics didn't like it. It lost over $500,000 when it first came out. And so, to some degree at least, it was rejected. Well, it wasn't seen as a particularly great movie. Now, eventually, even during that year, it gained momentum. I think even was up for Best Picture of the Year. But, but at first, mixed reviews and, law, and lost money. And of course, it's become... It's, it's, it's become one of the, considered one of the great movies of all time. And so it's on most of the list of great movies. Uh, you'll find It's a Wonderful Life somewhere. If you haven't seen it, uh, take, uh, take a chance to watch it uh, next time it comes on, which will be sometime around Christmas time. But have you ever experienced something like that, where you've worked on a project or worked on a particular thing, and, and you've worked hard on it. It's taking you some time and some effort, but, but you put in the time and you put in the effort, and then only to have it rejected. Maybe a project at work that you were assigned, and the deadline was set, and you worked on it, and you developed it, and you put in the time on it. It's not that you took it, uh, you didn't take it seriously, you took it very seriously. And then only to turn it in and say, that, no, this, this isn't good enough. There's something wrong with this. You need to take this back and do it again, or we're going to give it to somebody else. Maybe you can remember an assignment in school that you worked on, and, and you thought, well, I've got it down. I, I've done a good job on it. You turn it in, and you get it, you get, to get it back, and you got a bad grade on it. 
Well, that happens in the spiritual realm as well sometimes. Think about the construction of the temple by Solomon. You remember, David initially wanted to build the temple, but God would not allow him to. He was a man of war. He had shed much blood, and the kingdom of God would be a kingdom of peace. And so David's son was given the task of of building the temple. David gathered all the materials, but Solomon was the one that, that built the temple. The temple would be constructed from rock cut at the quarry. And so at the the stone quarry, they'd cut out the rock. They would take measurements at the temple, and then they would cut that rock, and they would fashion it according to the measurements, and then bring it to the temple area and put it into place. The Bible says no, no sound of hammer was heard at the temple. And so all that kind of work, all that cutting out the stone, fashioning the stone, the hammer work with the stone, all that was done at the quarry so that you wouldn't have that sound of that hammer beating against the stone at the temple. So so imagine that. You're working on the temple. You're at the quarry. You're part of getting the stone out of the quarry, fashioning it. You're looking at the measurements. You You think you got it just right. You take it to the temple area, which wouldn't be a an easy thing to do back then. It's not like you could put it on a diesel truck and and drive it. You take it to the temple area and the people that are building the temple look at the stone and they say, no, not good enough. And they reject it. We're going to set this aside. That'd be pretty frustrating, wouldn't it? Just imagine later taking that stone, someone else coming and we've got a stone right here, it's perfect. And then making that the most important stone in the building. Well, that happens in the case of Christ. That kind of thing is described in the 118th Psalm in verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And and of course, that's taken up by the New Testament preachers and New Testament writers and applied to Christ. The 118th Psalm contains some familiar expressions in verse 6. The Lord is my helper, quoted in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 6. The Lord is my helper. I'm not going to fear what man will do to me. In verse 19, open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter in through it. And so that reminds us of the triumphal entry of Christ. As Christ is going in through the gates of the city, especially... When you combine that with verses 25 and 26, O Lord, save, or do save, we beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And so the 118th Psalm, we would say, is a messianic psalm. It, it tells about a celebration, perhaps in the original setting, is written about a king who had a, a great victory over the enemy, and they're celebrating that, that victory. But there's this idea of rejection and then what is rejected becoming very important. There's that idea in it as well. Rejection and then affirmation. Verse 22, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Let's look at how that's used in the New Testament. We're going to make some applications about that. In Matthew chapter 21, Jesus has entered into the city of Jerusalem. This is during His last week, uh, just uh, final days leading up to His crucifixion. And He tells a story. It's a powerful story. It's really a story about the Pharisees and the leaders of the Jewish people. 
But Jesus tells it in parable form. Now they get the point as we'll see. But Jesus tells it in story form. Verse 33. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive the produce. The vine growers took his slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. Again, he sent another group of slaves larger than the first and they did the same thing to them. But afterward, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. And so you see what's going on. He has this vineyard, he's rented it out, let it out to people to, to take care of it and to grow the, the grapes in the vineyard. And the harvest time comes, he sees sends some, some servants to collect the produce. Well, the, the tenants, they, they don't want to give it up. And so they kill the servants and they stone them and so forth. Well, he sends another group. Same thing is done to them. And then finally he says, I know what I'll do. I'll send my son. Surely they'll respect him. And of course, they don't. When the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize in his inheritance. They took him. They threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And then Jesus asked a question. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? So he's killed the owner's servants, the first group. He's killed the second group of servants sent to collect the produce. They've even killed the son. And so Jesus says, what's the owner of the vineyard going to do to those guys? And they give the right answer. They said to him, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper time. And then Jesus says in response, did you never read in the scriptures, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. That's what they said should be done. So he's just saying, that's what's going to be done. You've got the right answer. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. What Jesus is saying, of course, is that he is the son in the parable. That his father has sent him to the vineyard, to the nation of Israel. And he's rejected by the leaders of Israel. That is, Jesus has been rejected. But God takes him and makes him the most important element, the most important feature, the most important person in, in the entire kingdom. Now you've rejected him, but he's going to become the, key, the, the chief cornerstone and those who continue to, be, to reject him, they are going, they're going to be crushed. And so you see that verse 44, he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. When the chief priests and the elders heard his parables, they understood he was talking about them. And they sought to seize him, but they feared the people because they considered him to be a prophet. So they continued their efforts to reject him. Now that, that this particular story is also told in the book of Mark and the book of Luke. There are other, a couple of other places where we find this statement from the 118th Psalm referred to. Look at Acts chapter 4. And so Jesus is the fulfillment of the Psalm. He is the stone that 
was rejected by the builders. The leaders of the Jews, the chief priests, the Pharisees, they should have been building up the kingdom, should have accepted Jesus and uh, given Him His proper place as the King of Israel. But they rejected Him, and so the builders rejected the stone, but God has made Him the most important aspect of the kingdom. In Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4 is just a continuation of Acts chapter 3. In Acts 3, Peter and John go to the temple and they heal the lame man. You remember that episode? They heal the lame man and they take that opportunity to preach to the crowd that, that gathers around. And so they preach in the name of Jesus. Again, the leaders don't like that. And so they arrest Peter and John and they come before the council. And so Peter gives his defense, verse 8. He addresses the rulers and elders of the people and says, If we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom you rejected, in other words, whom God raised from the dead, God made him the chief cornerstone, in other words, by this man, uh, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. And then, he is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And he goes on to comment, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that's been given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the rejected stone. Now Jesus saw that and applied it to the Pharisees and leaders of the Jews that he dealt with. A little while later, Peter sees that and he applies it to the people that he's dealing with. A little bit later in the book of 1 Peter, we see it again. 1 Peter chapter 2. And maybe has a little bit different significance here, applied in a slightly different way. He says, you, in verse 5, you as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and who believes in Him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who would disbelieve, the stone which the builders reject, this became the very cornerstone. So this idea of Jesus being the rejected stone but acceptable to God, precious in the sight of God, and made the chief cornerstone. It's found in several places in the New Testament. And so Jesus is the rejected stone. During His lifetime, though, though He had disciples, He was rejected by the leaders of the Jews, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, and others. He was eventually killed as a blasphemer and an imposter. Imposter. They crucified Him. They rejected Him. They wanted to get rid of Him. But God raised Him up again and seated Him at His, at his right hand. And, and upon Him then, upon Jesus, upon the fact that He is the Son of God, sitting at God's right hand, the kingdom of God, the church of God is built. And so you can see the idea again, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19, so then you're no longer strangers and aliens, you're fellow citizens with the saints, and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. Rejected of men, accepted by God, and made the chief cornerstone, upon which 
the, the house, the temple, the church is built. As the message of the gospel goes out, it's rejected by many. Now, Peter and, and, and John and, and Paul and others, they go from place to place and preach the gospel. And there are people who accept it, sometime in, in significant numbers, but more reject it than accept it. And so Jesus continues to be the stone which is rejected by men. Although rejected by many, God raised Jesus and seated Jesus at his own right hand where he rules over the kingdom and serves as the head of the body, the church. I just want you to get that idea, that, that concept in your mind. Jesus, the rejected stone. Now Jesus continues to be the rejected stone as well. So we'll talk about that for a few minutes. Who rejects Jesus today? Well, there are lots of people who do. Now, there are a lot of people throughout the world who will say Jesus is Lord and Jesus is the Son of God, but there are more people who just outright reject Him altogether as the Son of God than accept Him. Here are a few groups that do that. Atheists clearly reject Jesus. And so there's just simply unbelievers, just not believers in any sense of the word. They clearly reject Jesus. Some atheists may speak respectfully in rejected him, in rejecting him. They, they speak of Jesus in respectful tones. They may uh, uh, consider him a good man in some ways, the founder of an important religion or something like that. But others are, are quite blasphemous. And so if you, wanna, if you want some examples of that, just Google, what do atheists say about Jesus? <laughs> And you'll, you'll see some really strong, strong, really blasphemous statements. Some don't admit that Jesus even existed, even though there's plenty of evidence that Jesus did exist, as much evidence for the existence of Jesus as any other figure in ancient history. More evidence in the case of Jesus than, than other, some other figures in ancient history. They don't like His teaching, and so they just reject Him. What's going to happen to them? Well, eventually, as we saw in Matthew chapter 21, that stone, so to speak, Jesus, the stone, is going to break them into pieces and scatter them like dust. It may be eventually, but that's, that's what's going to happen. That's just one group that rejects Jesus. Now, they may do it respectfully and they may use nice language, but ultimately they, they reject Him. In Judaism, again, some Jews uh, speak respectfully of Jesus, but, but ultimately reject Him. When I was in uh, college, uh, we had a class, and I don't know exactly what the conversation was all about, but it kind of picked up on a conversation that was kind of being held over here in this part of the room. And then there was a, a student, uh, and she, she was Jewish, and she said, you know, I don't know what led up to this, but she said, you know, I, I, th I believe Jesus of Nazareth was a good man, a good teacher taught some good things. I just don't believe he is the Son of God. It's just very plain and straightforward about it. Not disrespectful, just expressing her, her disbelief in Jesus as the Son of God. Be difficult to say what most Jews believe about Jesus. There are several opinions about Jesus. Judaism covers a pretty wide range of ideas and belief. But they don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He may have been someone who called for needed reforms in Judaism of his time. And so he saw the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and, and some of the shortcomings of Judaism as it was practiced. And so he called for reforms, very much needed reforms. 
but, but not, not the Savior. About A.D. 1000 was a man named Maimonides, a leading figure in Judaism. He described what the Messiah would accomplish when he appears. And so he believed in the coming Messiah. This is A.D. 1000, about a thousand years after the life of Christ. And he said when the Messiah comes, he's going to restore the kingdom of Israel or the kingdom of David to its former glory, defeat Israel's enemies in battle, rebuild the temple, restore temple sacrifices, restore the sabbatical and years of jubilee, bring the scattered people back to their homeland. And since Jesus didn't do any of those things, Jesus can't be the Messiah. He can't be the Christ. Today, there are, again, a variety of ideas about the coming Messiah. Some Jews believe the Messiah is coming. Some may believe that He's about to appear. Others think, well, let's see, I, I don't know whether there's going to be a Messiah or not. Maybe. Well, when the Bible talks about the Messiah, it might just mean a, a kind of a golden messianic age of prosperity for our people. And then, of course, some have given up on the idea of a Messiah coming altogether. And so there's a variety of, the, of belief, but all of that, those reject Jesus as the Son of God. Now, they may be respectful in their rejection of Jesus, but they reject Jesus. He's the stone that the builders reject. Muslims reject Jesus as well. In Islam, Jesus is considered a prophet of God, perhaps a great one, but he's been surpassed by Muhammad. He's not the Son of God or the Messiah. Again, Jesus is often treated with respect in Islam. He's born of a virgin. He's a miracle worker. Lofty titles are attributed to him. He's a prophet and a great prophet. In fact, only Muhammad is a greater prophet than Jesus. And so, and so respectful perhaps, but ultimately they reject Jesus. Here's a couple of statements from the Quran. Jesus, the son of Mary, was no more than apostle. Other apostles passed away before him. His mother was a saintly woman. Both ate earthly food. And so, here's some respect. Jesus was an apostle, a person sent from God. But he's just one among many, not any better or worse, ultimately, than, than the others. Maybe a little bit higher rank, but still not, ra not ra rising above the level of, of apostle. He was an apostle. And his mother was a saintly woman, very respectful toward her. But really, they are both of the same nature. They eat earthly food. They're, they're mere human beings. Here's another statement from the Quran. Jesus is like Adam in the sight of God. He created him from dust and then said to him, be, and he was. He's like Adam. Now, Jesus is like Adam in some ways. <laughs> He's a human being. But he's also a divine being. And so in other important ways, he's different from Adam. And so you can see, ultimately in Islam, Jesus is rejected. Now some of you, if you're as old as I am, maybe even a little older, remember in 1974, my dad had a public discussion debate with a Muslim, Dr. Salah El Darir, down here in Birmingham, campus of UAB. I went to those. It's four nights Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Some others here might have gone to some of those. And, and so they, they had a debate about who Jesus is. Is Jesus the Son of God and the gospel and, and so forth? And it was respectfully 
held and there wasn't any kind of uh, rancor or any kind of, you know, nothing out of line, no anger, anything like that. Just, a, just an open discussion. But Dr. Elderier says in the debate, Islam accords to Jesus the exalted position of prophet and messenger of God to His people, the Israelites. But Muslims have held throughout history that Jesus could not have been the Son of God. All right, so as respectful as you might be toward Jesus, He's the stone that you've rejected. And so atheists reject Jesus as the Son of God. Jews reject Jesus as the Son of God. Muslims reject Jesus as the Son of God. And even among many so-called Christian theologians, Jesus is rejected. Now, not all theologians reject Jesus as the Son of God. There, there are theologians who, 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 who defend the, the, the deity of Jesus and, and do it very well. They do believe that Jesus is God's Son, that He's the Christ, the Messiah. And then they'll give you good, sound arguments as to why they believe that. But there are some among Christian theologians who ultimately reject Jesus. And so just try to follow me. I'll try to talk about this a little bit. Uh, Theology is not, you know, not, not very well accepted by many. Theologians often write for other theologians, and uh, their work is complicated, all kind of theological jargon, and, and it just doesn't appeal to most of us, but just hang in there with me. These make a distinction between the Jesus of history and the Jesus of faith. And so... <clears throat> The Jesus of history is, well, Jesus was a man who lived in Palestine. He was a Jew. Uh, he was a carpenter. But he began, uh, became kind of an informal, untrained rabbi. And he went around teaching and, and gained a following. And so, and so there's the Jesus of history. Now, the Jesus of faith, among his followers, these stories began to be told. And things like he walked on the water, he was born of a virgin, or he's raised from the dead. And so to get to know the real Jesus, the historical Jesus, we need to separate fact from fiction. And so separate the Jesus of history from the Jesus of faith. That's, that's kind of where these Christian theologians start. And once they began to take away all the the resurrection and the miracles and the virgin birth and the idea that Jesus is God with us. A wide variety of conclusions are reached. Jesus was a failed apocalyptic prophet. He came preaching the end of the world. He expected the end of the world. He expected God to act in a real catastrophic way and bring everything to an end. But unfortunately, he was wrong about that. He was a failed apocalyptic prophet. That's one conclusion that these theologians reach. He's an advocate for religious reform in Judaism. And so he came really, his intent was just to kind of make some corrections in Judaism as it was practiced during his time. He is a social reformer, drawing attention to one, one aspect of you know, social ills or another hunger or illness. Or, and so he came to reform society. He was a teacher of wisdom, a sort of first century hippie, a peacenik kind of a proto-Marxist in the struggle between class and economic level. And so you can find all kinds of conclusions among these theologians. Some believe he's a radical prophet liberating women and marginalized people from oppressive patriarchal struggles, structures. 
or an advocate of politically correct forms of egalitarianism. See, I told you people didn't like theology. And so though, I'm reminded of the words of Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5. He refers to some who have a form of godliness, but deny the power of it. Well, that's what you'll find among these so-called Christian theologians. Now, there are theologians who do a great job of defending the deity of Jesus. and They believe in the, the, the actual... believe in the miracles, actual history. They believe in the virgin birth. And so I don't want to just paint with a broad brush, but there are some in significant numbers who ultimately, they they reject. See, Jesus is the stone rejected by the builders. All of these reject the stone. Now, let me make this observation. Thinking about these groups that reject Jesus, there's atheists, there's Jews, there's Muslims, there's some theologians. They, they all, now thinking about that, that, that might help us in some way. That might help us understand the world around us. That might help us get ready to, to face the world and face the challenges of those who reject Christians. But it doesn't accomplish very much when it comes to our own spiritual condition. Knowing that other people reject Jesus really doesn't help me in my relationship with God. The question really is, do you reject the stone that's become the head of the corner? No, not what they do, whatever groups might, we might have talked about today. The question really is not, what do they do? What do you do? What do you do with Jesus? Do you reject Him or do you accept Him? And so that's the real question for us today. Is That's really the the most important question that we have to answer. Now you might sit there and say, you know, I just don't know. I'm not sure what to think about Jesus. I don't know whether to accept Him as the Son of God. I don't know whether He is the Christ. I don't know whether He's the Savior of the world. Well, then I would encourage you to find the answer. If you don't know, find the answer. There's too much at stake just to remain in willful ignorance. In fact, I would say willfully remaining in a state of ignorance just won't do, will it? That's tantamount to rejecting Him. I don't know, and I'm not going to decide. Or you've rejected Him. Ultimately, essentially, you've rejected Him. And so if you're sitting there saying, I don't know what I think about Jesus, find the answer. Here are some places you can look. John chapter 5, beginning in verse 33, Jesus says, and He gives us a kind of a list of several, several things that speak to His identity as the Son of God. He says in verse 33, you sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. All right, so consider the testimony of those who encountered Jesus. John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And think about what others who encountered Jesus after spending time with Him said about Him. You're the King of Israel, the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God. And so think about what others have said about Him. And John chapter 5, and in verse, and in verse 37, and the Father, and the Father who sent me has testified of me. What did the Father say about Jesus? Jesus. This is my this beloved, is my beloved son, son, whom I'm, whom I'm well pleased. This is this my, is my beloved, beloved son, whom I'm, I'm well pleased. Listen, listen to him. him. So consider the testimony of the Father. The Father says, this is my son. And again, again, again. 
Verse 39, you can come you can to our conclusion. Jesus, Jesus is, in fact, the Christ, Christ the same Savior. Savior. And Jesus, Jesus says, and think about the works that I did. Verse 36, but the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John, for the works which the Father has given me to accomplish the very works that I do, testify about me that the Father has sent me. Think about the works that Jesus did. Walked on the water, calmed the storm. Fed the 5,000, fed the 4,000, healed the sick, healed the lepers, cast demons out, enabled lame people to walk, made the blind to see. Think about the works that Jesus did. And we can include in that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Jesus says, John 10, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself. And if I have the power to lay it down, I can take it up. I can take it up again. And so we could include in the works that Jesus did his own resurrection from the dead. And so there's too much at risk for us simply to sit idly by in a state of willful ignorance, just say, well, I don't know. Jesus says, except you believe that I'm he, you'll die in your sins. In Acts chapter 4, in a passage we read earlier, you remember Peter says, he is the stone that the builders rejected. He's been made the chief cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven that's been given among men by which we must be saved. He's the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He says, no one comes to the Father but by me. So you need to make up your mind. You need to decide. Am I going to accept Him, or am I going to reject Him? It's not enough to say this group rejects him, this group, this group. This. What do you do with Jesus? Do you accept him or reject him? You'll do one or the other. Those are the only choices. You'll do one or the other. We hope that you will accept him. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for this opportunity to come together to study from your word. Father, we know that when Jesus came to the earth, that he was rejected by many. Those who should have been ready to accept him rejected him, rejected him altogether, even executed him on, on the cross. But Father, you were pleased with your son and the work that he did on the earth, and you raised him up and you seated him at your right hand. Father, since that time, many have continued to reject Jesus as your son. We've noted some of those today. Father, there may be those here today who don't know what to do with Jesus, whether to accept Him or, like so many have, reject Him. Father, we pray that they will open their hearts and open their mind to consider the evidence that Jesus is, in fact, Your Son, that they will accept that, that they will submit to Him, to submit to His authority as their King, and that they would obey Him. Father, that we understand that's the only way the only way that we can be right with you and have hope of eternal life. We pray that all of us, all of us will leave this place this day, not as rejectors of Jesus, but as those who accept him.
pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and you're not a follower,